Hey, take your Bibles now, open up to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And if you're a note taker, there's some paper behind the chair that you're sitting on or in front of. And if you want to write down a sermon title, the sermon title would be Four Counterfeits to Christianity, or a secondary title could be Four Distractions That Will Put You in the Ditch and Not on the Road. And it's real important because these are distractions to Christianity, they're counterfeits. They're just subtle differences in what God has given to us. And I'm going to be preaching my best ability to believers here. I want to give a couple secular applications as well for people because Paul's going to address four things within the church, but not just within the church, but principally speaking, they're going to mess people up moving down the road. And these are fighting words that Paul's going to use today. He's going to address four separate things. I'm going to do my best to touch on each one of them. And they're so sensitive that I'm hoping that you get offended at least by one, hopefully two. Okay. I believe in equality. I'm going to try and offend everyone equally today. So I'm looking for you and what you believe in and the distractions you've held on to and the things that are counterfeiting your Christianity. I look at my own life as I study these out and say, okay, Lord, when have I been guilty of these things? One of these things taken me, and listen, it's just a little bit away. Last week, I used the illustration of being one degree off. And if you go on a journey, 100 yards, just 100 yards, and if you're one degree off, you'll be five feet off your mark. And if you continue that and you keep going all the way to Hawaii, you're gonna be 42 miles off your mark, just one degree off. And if Satan can't make you super bad and make you all into crazy things, he can just distract you a little bit. And Paul is fighting for the church. And I believe he's not just fighting for the church, but he's preparing the church for the fight. You guys know we're in a fight, don't you? Crystal's in the back. Where's Crystal at? She's in the back. Crystal's over here. And, and she came and shared a word with me this morning about our, our Bibles, about swords. So it was a vision that she was given, a dream that she had, or something, some picture that she saw where there were people fighting and battling. And, and yet it was the, the weaponry that God's given to us. It's not just defensive. We have a lot of defensive weaponry. We only have one offensive weapon, just one. Everything else is defensive. And I think it needs to be both and. And so what Paul is calling us toward is this understanding of what Christ has done that's our defense. Man, we know, man, we're good. Are we good in Christ? I'm so good in Christ. However, I also need to be aware of how to fight back moving forward. I use the illustration of a boxing coach. You ever seen boxers like in round seven, the boxer walks over and they say, other corner, sir. He's like, oh, my bad. You know, he's all beat up and he sits down finally and, and his boxing coach comes over and he's got the trainer and he's got the doctor and they're spraying stuff on him and rubbing the salve on him. And the, and the coach, I just love watching this because I'm an athlete too. And I know this guy's so tired. And the coach is like, all right, what you gotta do? You gotta watch out for this. And you get to come over here. You gotta go. And I know this athlete's like, I just wanna go home and go to bed, you know? Like I've been coached before in rest. I'm not listening to the coach. I'm just trying to find the exit to the gym. You know, I just want to leave. And what the coach will do though, is the coach will do two things in coaching. He'll tell them what to watch out for. Man, this guy's got this upper right hook. He's coming at you. He's coming on your right side. You got to protect yourself and all these things to watch out for. But the good coach will also say, then you need to be offensive. You need to take two steps and give it to him. You need to do what we've been talking about. You need to not just sit back and be scared of the big bad world, but you also need to have your sword ready and be on the offensive. The fight is both defensive and offensive. And what Paul is telling us, number one, we're gonna see this today, is be careful of the world because it's nuts out there. The counterfeits and all these distractions, we're gonna uh, primarily talk about that. But listen, before we get there, I think it's very important that we don't just talk about the big bad world, but we're also mindful of what the Lord has already done for us. I would say this is our offense. This is what God's already done. Check this out. In chapter two, it's 23 verses. I want you to read it in totality later today. Just read it from the Apostle Paul in jail to the church. And I want you to count on your fingers or however you count, how many times Paul points to 
addresses and gives full credit to Jesus Christ and what he's already done. I counted it myself, it's 21 times. Okay, I just took the, you know, whatever, you might count more, you might count less depending on the translation you're using. And in 23 verses, Paul says, in him, we are complete. That he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That it's all about Jesus. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And he's so fired up about Jesus. And I don't want you to misunderstand the teaching today because that's the whole point is these distractions will actually keep you from connecting with Jesus who's already done everything for you. Chances are in your life, you're gonna spend a day or two or a week or a dozen years thinking you don't have enough. You're inferior. You got all these chinks in your arm. You've done things that are, that are God's gonna hold against you and you can't move forward where Paul's gonna say, no, no. All the handwriting of requirements that are against you have been nailed to the cross, being taken away through the blood of Jesus Christ. And you were circumcised in him and you were buried in him and you were raised from the dead in him. It's all about him. And so Paul is this master coach, this master teacher saying, man, don't forget, it's all good. Our savior made a public spectacle of the demons and the enemies of your soul. By how? By pillaging their camp and taking captives and setting them free. That's you and me. And we now are part of the kingdom of light. All this has already happened. And because all this has already happened, Paul now says, now we want to make sure we're standing firmly on the work of Jesus Christ. And we're gonna call the rest of the sermon in verses 16 and on the so what of what he's already preached. Well, now that we're good there with Jesus, so what? As a matter of fact, look at verse 16. I'm gonna read it to you. He says, so, I like that word, so, it's like a therefore word, so, because of Jesus, so, because of that, listen, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. There he points back to Christ one more time. He says, all that Christ has done will now alleviate you from these counterfeits and distraction. Namely, the first one, I'm gonna give you all four, you can write them down. The first one is legalism. Don't anybody judge you in eating and drinking and Sabbaths and moons and festivals. Don't anybody put their trip on you. If you know Jesus, man, you're good to go. Because Christians and religious people and believers, first century all the way to the 21st century, we have a tendency to put our trip on other people. Don't you guys put your trip on people every once in a while? You're a Christian, you know Jesus, you're all saved, you're good to go, but oh, you go to that church? Interesting. That's crazy. Oh, you listen to that kind of music? Interesting. Wow, oh, you homeschool your kids, interesting. And all of these legalistic trips, we're gonna call them rules, your personal rules, and then we add them to God's law, which is standardized and for everyone. You guys understand that, right? Everyone has to obey God's laws. Can I get an amen from somebody? Okay, not everyone has to obey your rules though. And what happens to a legalist is he, along with everyone else, or she agrees with God's laws, and then we essentially say to God, hey, hey God, your laws are so cool, so great. I noticed you missed a few things though. So I've gone ahead and I've taken my legal pad and I put them out. I kind of wrote down a few other things, kind of a, you know, applications to your big laws. And, and I'm really glad I'm here. And I even wrote my own kind of books to go along with yours. You know, you got a lot of good books in the Bible, but I wrote first and second opinions. And um, we're gonna go ahead and slip those in there. And it's just, it's my opinion, but I think they're real good. They're real good. And so, and then we see whole, whole churches and denominations and movements and people. And if you've been a Christian for any sort of time, you, I mean, you might, hopefully you have a historical memory bank. Like, I remember when I was a total legalist. I remember, I remember when I was a legalist. But the reality is you're probably kind of a legalist still. You're probably still doing this. And the problem with legalism is that it's focusing on self-righteousness and your effort to earn favor with God instead of the favor you have with God 
through Jesus Christ. Now, we're gonna split some hairs today because do you think being righteous is good? Do you think having a goal to, to, to live above reproach and with good character and morals and standards is good? I, I do. But what's your goal? Man, if I do these things and if I could just figure that out and if I make my kids do these things and if I make my grandkids do these things and my spouse and man, the in-laws, if I can get the in-laws to stop being outlaws and if I can do all these things, you know, man, then, then, then we'll be close to the Lord. And here's God up in heaven with his arm around his son saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It's all about Jesus. And legalism is such a slippery one because it has this great attraction because there's good intention behind every legalist. We'll talk about that. I, I skipped the first one because we studied it last week. The first one, the four counterfeits, the, the first one was intellectualism. I just wanna remind you of that. He said in verse eight, he says, beware lest anyone cheats you with vain philosophy, philosophies and basic traditions and principles of this world. He says, there's gonna be another counterfeit. It's just gonna be philosophy, which means the love of wisdom. And I said it a couple weeks ago, there's nothing sinful about being smart. For all you smart people, like, amen, you know. And, you know there's nothing wrong about reading a book, going to college and getting smart. Here's the problem is when your intellectualism doesn't just make you smart. Listen, here's the problem. It's when it makes you smarter than God. Now, most of us are like, what are you talking about? Let me make a few illustrations or applications. Anytime, and this is gonna sting, anytime you disagree with the way your life is gone or the way the world is going, or the way things are, you have subtly moved into that position of I know more than God. I'm not saying you have to like everything that happens in your life. It's okay to talk to the Lord and say, this hurts my heart. This loss, this unfortunate circumstance, this disease, this disaster. But what happens is in the world, the world says, well, if this happened, and if it goes this way, then in our wisdom, that just shows that God's not good. And yet, what does the scripture teach? God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Your circumstances might not be good. And there is this subtle desire. So it doesn't take much if you decide to just put God on the sideline and say, all these things are bad, therefore God is bad. Then you join the camp of intellectualism and higher knowledge, and you say, let's just keep going on that train, disregarding what the scriptures say about God and his character and the way that the world is. And this intellectualism isn't just being too smart or smarter, but it's thinking you're smarter than God. Now you're a Christian here, so you wouldn't necessarily sign up and confess, I think I'm smarter than God or I have more wisdom than God, but in your attitudes and actions from time to time, that's the exact subtle distraction. That's the ditch you're off the road now. Now, when Job lost everything in, in Job chapter one, it wasn't good, it was bad, it was evil, it was the devil behind it all. And Job wept, he cried, and he prayed, but he did not accuse the Lord of doing anything wrong. It was wrong, but the Lord was not wrong. And this is something that we all need to make sure that we're aware of in our own situation. Because the world loves to be smarter than God, don't they? The world loves to, I love how Genesis 1 tells us where the world came from. Like God just goes on record, like I did it. And then the whole higher learning is like, let's figure out where the world came from. Let's do it. You know, and they come up with all these ideas and I think it came from here. I think it came from there. And it's like, well, I, I, think, he, I think he already clarified that. He told us that he did it. He told us that he made it. No, it couldn't be that easy. Which by the way, I love the idea of creation because if God can't he's just unable to create the world as he said he did well then he's not god 
And people love this idea of billions and billions of adaptive and evolutionary years. They love it because it just makes sense. Oh yeah, as long as there's 25 billion years, then I can see how life would come from nothing and become this. That makes sense, that makes sense, that makes sense. Okay, I like that, I like that. Or, or, God did it. And it's a miracle. There's no explanation. There's no silly explanation, you know. And I love how people say, well, how could he do it? You can't do it. I can't do it because we're not God. And so anyways, I'm gonna freak out here if I don't keep going. We think we're smarter than God. The world loves to think they're smarter than God. It's a sin, it's a trap. So intellectualism, legalism, and then the last two we're gonna talk about today are mysticism, okay, or spiritualism. This is gonna be a slippery one too. This is relying on spiritual experiences in order to connect with God. Now, let me say it differently. Have you ever or can you connect with God through spiritual experiences? Yeah, you can. I have, I hope you have. Spiritual experiences where I connected with the Lord. I felt his Holy Spirit. I received something, a word of prophecy, not all these things, gifts, signs, wonders, healings, they're all there, but there is a proclivity to go into that realm of Christianity where your most important thing about your Christianity is your mysticism or your spiritualism or your experience or your sensuality. Did I feel it? Did I get it? Did I earn it? And we go after these things and you need another vision. You need another sign. You want more than just the Bible, more than just teaching, more than just the Holy Spirit. You need to be put in this position where it's more, more, more. I've been in circles like that. I know people in circles like that. And Paul's gonna tell us, don't do that. Don't pretend that you know what's going on when you don't know what's going on. Instead, be simple and let the Lord be the Lord. And the fourth thing we're gonna look at today is asceticism. And this is living impoverished or sad so you can please the Lord. And it's similar to legalism, but it's a little different. And we see this where people do without. We see this in the secular world. Buddhists will do this and they'll do without, you know, all kinds of pleasures and comforts and foods in order to prove something to somebody. And there is a temptation in certain small sects of Christianity to say, you know what? We're Christians, man. We just got to look like we've been baptized in pickle juice and never have fun. And man, we're going to make our own Disneyland. It's called shoveling poop. And we're going to, you know, do, we're going to, you know, we're never going to enjoy life. It's always going to be sad. And that's just because that's going to make God happy. You know what makes God happy? His son. See, that's the problem with all of these counterfeits is taking what Jesus has done. Paul's gonna point at Jesus 21 times or more in this chapter. He says, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So guys, watch out for these other things. Make sure you're spending time with Jesus. And if that's all you get today, if you leave here saying, I wonder if I'm spending enough time with Jesus. I wonder if I'm full in Jesus. I wonder if my satisfaction and my salvation is all in Jesus. I wonder if my strength is in Jesus. I wonder if I have enough Jesus or if I'm going after some silly, subtle counterfeits or distractions, you then are gonna be on the road to making sure that your relationship with God produces fruit and is pleasing to him. Now, all that is introduction. Let's pray real quick and ask God to bless it so we can learn something. Lord, I I pray right now because I really need you to teach these things. And Lord, I believe it can be done because your word is powerful. It's alive, it's active. And uh, no matter what I say, Lord, you're gonna say what you wanna say. And you're gonna say what we need to hear. And you're gonna use your word to produce life in us, uh, to produce life through us. And I pray, Jesus, that we would trust in Jesus more than anything else. And we would also take this coaching from Paul and we would know what things to look out for in our lives that are subtly taking us away from Christ, putting us in a ditch and counterfeiting our walk with Christianity. We need you, Lord. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So his conclusion is in verse 16. So let no one judge you. And the so comes, the therefore comes after spending a lot of time on Jesus Christ, that he has done everything you need for you in your life. Is that good news for anybody but me? 
okay? Just me and Gary? Okay, it's good news. Jesus has done everything you ever need for you in your life already. Tonight, we're gonna watch The Chosen. We're gonna watch this Christmas special and all the songs, all the speaking, all the acting, all the things we're gonna watch, all the popcorn, all the candy, all the soda, all of it is about baby Jesus coming to the world and doing everything that you couldn't do for yourself. And it's the best thing. We call it the good news. It should be called the great news because it changes everything for you and for me. But the subtle temptation is just to get saved, get the good news and say, now I'm gonna Add to that. And it normally finds itself in what we would call diets and days for the average Christian. This is what we do, and this is what we don't do. Some Christians worship on Sunday, some Christians worship on Saturday, and there's whole debates and fights all about it. Some Christians enjoy certain types of food or beverages or freedoms. Other Christians do not enjoy certain types of food, beverages, or freedoms. More, uh, not Mormons, uh, Buddhists do this, uh, Muslims do this, uh, Jews do this, people eat pork, people don't eat pork, people are vegan, people have all these kind of diets and restrictions, which you're allowed to have. Have, we're gonna call those preferences, okay? What happens though in legalism is your preference, if you're not careful, if you're super immature and pride, prideful, you're gonna take your preference and make it a prejudice. And you're gonna put it upon somebody else, whether it starts with your kids or your spouse or your neighbors or the people at your church and what you have preferred, which is totally fine and free for you to relate to Jesus, now becomes a prejudice toward the people around you. And it starts usually with days and how we celebrate, with diets and what we eat and what we don't eat. And everybody does this. Certain uh, uh, religions don't celebrate birthdays because they think it's a pagan holiday. Jehovah's Witnesses do that. And my, no birthday for you. Sorry, Billy. You know, it's going to save our family some money, but that's okay. And, you know, and no, we don't celebrate. And there's all these legalistic standards about days and diet. And you can have opinions, you can have a perspectives, you can have traditions, and you can have practices, but you have to be careful of being religious. Paul says it right here, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. Listen, he says it right here, why? Which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. Let's just use that illustration because I think it's really powerful. All of what Paul's talking about, the Sabbaths, the moons, the festivals, those are all Judaic celebrations and holidays that were implemented in the Old Testament for a season to point to the substance, which is Jesus Christ. So the new moons, the Sabbath, all of the festivals, all of the dietary rules, all of those were simply, listen, a shadow. Is there a shadow here? Oh yeah, there's one right back here. A shadow of the substance. I don't know if you guys can see the shadow, but the lights are shining on me. I'm Luke Frechette, nice to meet you. And there's a shadow of me. The shadow's not me though. Can I get an amen from somebody? Now, now imagine at the end of church, if people lined up on the stage to go talk to the shadow, like I just gotta meet this shadow guy, you know? And they all came over here and people are taking selfies with the shadow and handshakes and just whatever with the shadow. And I'm over here going, well, that's weird. You know, it's offensive. And so here, Jesus, Jesus comes on the scene. Listen, he's the fulfillment of all the things in the past. And, and, and Paul's freaking out. He's like, Jesus, 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 Jesus is here. And all the Jews and all the, the Greeks and all the, the, the people and the religious legalizers and all these people are like, yeah, 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 we see that, but we want to do it. Our, we want more stuff over here. We want to go hang out with the shadow. He says, oh man, you're missing it. And I just think that's such a subtle and simple, hopefully conviction for you and for me even in your Bible reading, don't raise your hand, but if you get up in the morning to read your Bible because it's part of your daily routine and if you don't do it, you feel guilty. So that's why you do it. Chances are you're doing it with the shadow. There's a chance you've become a legalist and even some of the things you do, the right things you should do, but you're not connecting with Jesus Christ. There are entire 
churches, denominations, and movements that are Christians that have no direct connection or relationship with Christ. And they're, they're legalists and they're smarter and more intellectual and more disciplined than all of us combined. And yet, you know what Jesus is gonna say to them on that day? I don't know you. I don't know you. Is that scary? It should be scary for all of us. Does Jesus know you? Because it's not hard to read the book and say, yeah, yeah, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. I see that, I see that. And, and to see something kind of a, attractive and to show up to, to an organization and be part of it and to become a religious person. And we become legalists. And it might not start that way for you. A lot of Christians, actually, it starts great. You become a Christian. You are saved. You're born again. You know Jesus. And as you're walking there, you know what would help me in my moving forward is a few guardrails and a few guidelines to make sure I stay out of trouble. Anybody created a few guardrails and a few guidelines for your life to stay out of trouble? Raise your hand if you've done this for yourself. Okay, we get in trouble sometimes. We have this body. It's fallen by nature. It's got some weird passions and desires. Has your body with its weird passions and desires ever gotten to you in trouble before? You know, like food and diet and, and entertainment and sex and all these things that we have these natural passions they're all broken and all messed up and so they have they gotten you into trouble have you guys heard of these things before you can go google it later and check it out they'll get you into trouble if you don't have some sort of guardrails and guidelines that will help you along the way and so what happens to a legalist is he finds himself in some sort of trouble and then with good intentions says i'm gonna set a standard for myself so i stay out of trouble it's called drinking for example the bible doesn't prohibit drinking it does prohibit drunkenness and abuse of alcohol it says there's all kinds of rules, but it doesn't prohibit drinking. And so if a person then struggles with drinking and they drink too much and they do get drunk or they do silly things when they even have a little bit, they have to put some guardrails on themselves and say, you know what? I just, I need some guidelines here beyond what the Lord has given to us in his word. And then the legalist will say, you know what? Because it works for me, it's gotta be for all of us. All of us have the same rule. And then it becomes a rule added to God's law. God's law is equal for everyone. Your rules are for yourself. So there's good intention. This is why it's slippery. Some of you guys have struggled with internet and, and pornography and, and things like that. So you set guidelines for yourself. You say, okay, I got some standards. I got these filters here and I got these boundaries here and these rules here. And you know what? They're for everybody. <laughs> you know, and you put this standard on everybody when it may be a very good thing for you or for other people struggling with those, those situations and issues. Maybe it's not that, maybe it's food. Maybe it's gambling. I've talked to people over the years that have a struggle with gambling. I don't have a struggle with gambling, I don't gamble. Maybe every once in a while on a whim when it's eight million billion dollars, I'll buy a lottery ticket, you know? And sometimes I feel bad because I know somebody struggles. I don't struggle with that, that's not my problem. I got all my other problems. And so some people might say, I struggle with gambling, nobody can gamble, you know? You can get addicted to anything and set a guardrail and a guideline for yourself. Some people overexercise. Have you met this person before? And exercise becomes an idol to this person. They work out way too much. And so they just say, no more exercise. That's the majority of the people here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, that's funny. It's hilarious. Not everyone's laughing. It's okay to laugh. And your preference can actually serve you. You should have, this is such a hard sermon to teach because you should have some guidelines and guardrails for your life that work for you. And when you get to this point in your life as a Christian where you realize this is for me, God's laws are standard, it's for everyone, but this just really helps me. And I appreciate the freedom you have in this area. Man, that's so cool for you. And it's not, it's not a sin because the sin is it's pretty easy to identify. And then you don't become a legalist. 
See, because legalism is vying for uniformity where we're all exactly the same. The scriptures are vying for something very similar. It's called unity, okay? Where we all love Jesus the same. Uniformity is how cults and small, weird sects of Christianity find themselves and all the guys look exactly the same and all the women look exactly the same and all the kids look exactly the same and they're all using the same curriculum for their homeschool books and it's all legalist here and legalist there and that's not the freedom that comes from, I believe, the beauty of God's creation. When we get to heaven, it's not gonna be uniform. It's gonna be unified, but not uniform. There's gonna be a lot of different things going on in heaven. And so here's a loose definition of legalism. I gotta keep going if I'm gonna hit these equally. A loose definition of legalism is, legalism is God's laws plus my rules. And God has laws, we agree that, and we must obey them. And we have our own rules, and those are for us, but not everyone has to obey your rules. And when we understand this, it's gonna set us free and I just, I would hope and pray that God would soften our hearts because there's so many points of division. I've seen people divide over Bible translations. Oh, you use that translation? Huh, the NIV, huh? The non-inspired version, interesting. That's not what it stands for. But a legalist might think so. Oh, you read the ESV, the elect standard version. Hmm, you know, that's not what it stands for. And yet we divide over silly things. We divide over the education of children. You know, the Bible says to raise up your children. It says to educate them, but it doesn't say how to doesn't say public school, doesn't say charter school, doesn't say private school, doesn't say homeschool. And yet a legalist will say, wow, I can't believe you're doing that with your kids. I'm doing this with my kids and they'll put this trip on other people. Public schools will look at homeschoolers and say, I can't believe you're depriving your kid of this experience and they'll be legalistic in their stance. And homeschoolers will be legalistic in public schooler stance. I can't believe you're sending your kids out like that. And all these things, that, no, no, no. Let no one judge you according to food or drink or Sabbath or festivals or all these things that are of the subs, it's all Jesus. Did you know that if you connect with Jesus Christ and ask him how, what Bible to read, he'll tell you? Okay, just read one, by the way. Just pick one and read it. He'll tell you how to vote. Lord, should I be a, a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian, you know, or a Librarian? What should I be, Lord? He'll tell you. He'll tell you how to vote. We want this standard. Don't you know when the, when the polls come out and you get the Christians, you vote this way, and you know? I don't know. Legalism. Go to Jesus. Wouldn't that... Wouldn't that be horrible if in your Christianity you bypassed Jesus for a set of rules, blueprints, standards from some dude or some group from your own self? This is a real problem. We do it in our worship styles. Oh, they use that kind of worship? Yeah. Hey, let them use it. Bless them. I have, I'm growing, by the way. I don't know if you guys are growing. It's so fun to grow. I'm growing in my legalism and my, my judgment towards other churches and Christians and believers and non-believers and people because I'm not to judge. When you seek to judge somebody or be a legalist, you only have a small portion of actual data to judge people on. And guess what? I'm just gonna tell you, you're wrong. God only knows their hearts. God only knows the backstory. God only knows what he's doing. God only knows. And man, your best bet is to just judge yourself and keep your mind free from what only God can do. I got more stuff to say. I came with 11 pages of notes today, man. I just went to bed last night so sad that I put so much, so much down on paper. So I got to keep going here. Look at verse 17, though. I want you to see this. These, these rules, these laws, these things, they are only a shadow of the things to come, but the substances of Christ. So that's all that he's pointing us to is Christ. He goes on to the next portion of scripture, which is not, we've talked about intellectualism and legalism. Now let's talk about mysticism. He says, let no one cheat you out of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up his vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Listen, 
here's what you should do, and not holding fast to the head, that's Jesus, from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Stop right there. I wanna talk about a positive thing first, just so you understand. Paul says, be careful of being super spiritual and mystical, going after experiences, signs, wonders, visions, supernatural, paranormal, aliens, movements, soak tanks, all this crazy stuff, instead of holding fast to the head, which is Jesus Christ, through all the joints, ligaments, muscles, find their nourishment and strength. Let me make sure you understand what he's saying. He's saying, if you spend more time with Jesus Christ, the, the head, okay, if you spend more time with the head, Jesus Christ, the body will naturally get healthy. Kind of gross, but if we were to take my head off my body, okay, and just kind of set it aside, what would happen to the rest of my body parts? Like, it would be a, pretty sad. They just, they wouldn't get any stronger. And as many cool things as I can do with my hands or my feet or I can do with the rest of my body parts, which are real and active and signs, wonders, visions, miracles, supernatural stuff, all that happens, okay? Don't pursue it. Pursue the head. And you know what's gonna come out of walking with your relationship with Jesus Christ? Signs, wonders, miracles, powers, visions, and all of those things. It's a subtle difference. It's a subtle difference. And there are whole movements, whole denominations, whole churches that have taken hold of the head. Yeah, we love Jesus so much. We're gonna set him right down here. And now we're gonna go after here and the supernatural and signs and wonders and whole schools of supernatural ministry and all of these other things. And here's the danger is it's a subtle distraction and it can be a real ditch just from spending more time with Jesus. Matter of fact, Paul said, or Jesus said it this way, a perverse and wicked generation seeks after a what? Starts with S, rhymes with Ein. Sign. Signs and miracles. The Bible also says that in the end days, there'll be counterfeit signs, miracles, and wonders. This is scary stuff. Did you know that if you want to pursue in, instead of Jesus Christ in the head and his personal relationship with you and pursue other things and go into the supernatural spiritual realm, that you'll probably actually be successful? I actually believe that there's demons out there who will give you exactly what you're looking for just to keep you away from the head. Man, I just need another vision. You'll get a vision. They have no problem giving you a vision. They'll give you a dream, give you a prophecy. They'll even be powers demonstrated through believers, healings. Isn't this crazy? Because we're so gullible. If somebody gets healed, I mean, that's a pretty big deal, right? Is that a pretty big deal? Like they were sick, now they're not. Oh my gosh, it's gotta be for the Lord. Have you read the Old Testament? I think it was Janice and John Brace, or maybe it was somebody else, but it was, it was the guys that Moses was going against. They had power. The devil can mimic. The devil can counterfeit. And, and while Paul doesn't give us a lot of chapter and verse against those things to go against and to fight against, that's not really the idea. The idea is, is man, you got enough in Jesus. You have enough in Jesus. See, I've, I've been a part of miracles, signs, wonders, visions, prophecies, power. I've, I've been part of those ministries I've had them happen. And if you're not careful, that can be your primary purpose and focus for everything you do. And it can be the whole agenda of your life. Listen, here's where it devastates you. And then if you don't get the experience, if you don't get the vision, if you don't get the prophecy, if you don't get the dream, if you don't get the miracle, and you leave, listen, all you have is Jesus and you leave sad, depressed, un all theologically incorrect. 
Paul says, that. I'm gonna read it to you again, just so you don't think I'm making this up. He says, let no one cheat you out of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he's not seen, vainly puffed up in their fleshly mind. Here's why, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Now, a legal list has a good desire to have guardrails and guidelines in their lives to make sure that they don't fail, but then they become judgmental and legalistic and religious. In a super spiritual or mystical person wants to grow and see things and do things and be a part of things, and, and yet there's a subtle distraction where we find ourselves in a ditch. Matter of fact, did you know that the very first temptation ever was to be more mystical, more spiritual, and more power, powerful? Genesis chapter three, Satan came to Eve herself and he said, hey, you wanna know what God knows? You wanna have all knowledge, knowledge of good and evil? You wanna live forever? You wanna be like God? Now, if you were to just write those down on paper and you're going to the grocery store and this is available to you, you wanna live forever? <laughs> Sounds pretty good. You wanna know everything? Uh, kinda, you know, I'm married now and I wanna prove my husband he's an idiot, you know? You know, you know all these, and I, we all want these things. It's crazy. What Eve was tempted with wasn't that bad, but it was in contrast to what God had already provided for. God had told Adam and Eve, this is so fun. I love you guys. Hey, guess what? I've given you everything. You have it all. All these trees, all this thing, you have everything. Oh, there's this one tree over there. It's a distraction. It's a ditch. C careful, stay away, but you don't even need it. You're going to grow. You're going to be fine. You're going to be awesome. It's going to be legit. And yet there was this desire, this temptation for more. He goes on, I got to hustle to finish this and teach it in context. He says, verse 20, therefore, if you died with Christ, and that's a big question, and I want you guys to see that. If you're a Christian, you have Christ. Therefore, if you died with Christ, and here's what you died from, if you would, from the basic principles of the world, why is though living in the world? Because you're not worldly anymore, you're godly. Why do you subject yourselves to regulations? And he lists them for us. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and the doctrines of men, just normal principles. Verse 23, final verse, he says this. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body but of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. That's crazy. What Paul's talking about now is asceticism. This is when a Christian or, or, or a secular person says, you know what, there's some bad things in the world. There's some things that are gonna take me down. So in order that I don't get taken off course, in order that I don't get taken down, I'm gonna make sure and stay away from all these creature comforts and all these pleasures. Don't taste, don't touch, don't, don't do all these things. And Paul's saying, aren't, aren't you out of this world though? Haven't you been delivered? Aren't you saved? then why are you subjecting yourself to these normal basic principles that a Buddhist would subject, subject themselves to? And we see smaller groups of Christianity. This is very similar to legalism, but it's instead asceticism that says, you know what? I wanna make sure God accepts me. So I'm gonna live a life of suffering and doing without so he knows I'm serious. And the reality is in any one of these, we take ourselves so seriously that we're not taking the Lord seriously enough. What do I mean by that is Jesus is enough. He's enough for your life, for your intellect. You have enough in Jesus. You don't need more. You could just keep following Jesus. He's enough for your legalism. You don't need any more rules. Just follow Jesus. He, he will convict you. He'll show you. He'll help you. And we take our legalism so seriously, our intellectualism so seriously, our spiritualism so seriously, and our asceticism so seriously, and we don't take the Lord seriously enough. That's a big problem. 
And it's really that simple. As a matter of fact, I, I don't know how to, how to say this, but like this is the most, probably the most important problem in my life right now. I don't know what your problem is. Probably one of these. This is the most important problem in your life right now. Your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the most important problem. If you have anything else out of order in your life right now, okay, it can be traced back to your relationship with Jesus Christ, the head. That's, that's it. Anything. Whatever distraction you're going in, whatever fight you're fighting, your coach, Pastor Paul, would sit you down and say, okay, careful. There's a few things the enemy's coming at you with. A few uppercuts, a few jabs. You gotta watch out for these four things, okay? But I'm gonna make sure in, in this chapter in 21 different ways to point you to Jesus. To Jesus. Because you might be tempted to make more rules in your life right now. Oh man, I keep screwing up. I keep blowing. I, oh, you, know, you know what I need? You know what I need? I need, yeah, yeah, you need more rules. And that might work for like 20 minutes. What you need is more Jesus. You need more Jesus. And along with more Jesus will come all of the benefits of knowing him. And do you not just trust the Lord to give you what you need? God wants to give you vision, he'll give it to you. That's, his, that's what he does. Don't go looking for that stuff. Look for Jesus. And if you find Jesus, you'll be so full with Jesus, so full of Jesus, and so equipped by Jesus that none of these other distractions, none of these other trips and traps will take you down. It's all about him. Lord, I pray that you would do that for our church, that you would give us that hunger. But I pray right now in Jesus' name for a greater hunger for you. And I'm so glad you guys are here with me. You're, you're my friends. The 9 a.m. service, I like you guys. I just so appreciate you. But you're probably just like me. Going to church this morning was exciting for you. You looked forward to it. You did it. You hoped for an experience of some sort. I hope you got it. You came looking for something. Maybe some of you were hoping Luke Verchette would really just talk to you and give you something good. And you're here and, and yet you're about to leave. And you need to leave with Jesus. And you need to be in love with Jesus. And you need to trust in Jesus. And you need your heart to be open to Jesus. And you need to make time for Jesus. And you need to walk with Jesus. You need to talk with Jesus. You need to cling to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And all these other things will be added unto you. All your heartaches, all your depression, all your fear, all your sadness, all your distractions, all your sinfulness, all your weakness, Every single thing you're fighting with that foe in the ring that's coming at you with his gloves on ready to take you out is handled in your relationship with Jesus. It's all him. And if that doesn't make sense to you, if you're confused by that, it's, that's okay. But you say, okay, I believe it. I just want more Jesus. And before I finish and dismiss us and 
send us back into the fight. If you would say simply, Lord, I just want more Jesus. I don't know how that looks necessarily, but Lord, would you show me? I, I believe in my heart that I just need more Jesus Christ in my life. That's where all of my problems are gonna get solved is more Jesus in my life. If, that, if you believe that right now and you would say, Lord, help it to be true. Show me practical ways to move forward, but let it start with a confession that I need Jesus in my life to a greater degree. Would you raise up your hand right now? I'm not looking, this between you and him. And would you say, yes, Lord, I just wanna confess. I need more Jesus in my life for my marriage. I need more Jesus in my life for my my parenting. I need more Jesus in my life for my career path. I need more Jesus in my life to be single. I need more Jesus in my life to be retired. I need more Jesus in my life to have an empty nest around my house. I need more Jesus in my life to suffer through this infirmity. I need more Jesus in my life to be a light, to be the salt, to battle these battles. I just need more Jesus to be me. Lord, my hand is up as well. Forgive me of my sins. And I pray you'd convict us and you'd fill us afresh and we'd find ourselves sweetly filled to overflowing with Jesus. Not legalism, not intellectual not asceticism, not spiritualism, but Jesus Christ. Would you do these things for us, Lord, for your glory and for our good? And I pray you'd forgive me, forgive us of our sins, those areas where we've complicated and confused things. Jesus, we love you. I pray a softening of the heart. Maybe you're here this morning, your hands are still up, that's okay. Maybe your, your heart needs to be softened. And you just know it, you're hard by all the things out there. Lord, soften our hearts. Lead us and guide us, we pray. We thank you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen and amen.